it's not. <laughs> I just thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> oh, you poor slobs. <laughs> well, it's Tuesday morning, 6, 6 a.m. roughly, and we're going to talk about death. Well, actually not. We're going to talk about a lot. Of, we're going to talk about life and uh, eternal life and what it's like to live with God and that which, to which we have to look. Could you throw up the uh, word slide there? I never do it myself. I'm too lazy. Okay, there we go. So, yes, and I shall rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account. Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you need to be encouraged? This is a great passage to look to. So, yes, and I shall rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That word deliverance is actually the same word that's used for salvation. And I think Paul did that deliberately. Well, the Holy Spirit did it through Paul. Um, because it's not only Paul's deliverance from the situation that he's in, because he's in prison, which is generally, despite his upbeat spirit, is not that ideal. Um, but it's that issue of salvation, of delivering him, the whole process of delivering. Later on, Paul's going to say, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I think this is part of that process. God is not only there at the end, uh, you know, in the, in the sky by and by. He's there every step of the way as we go along. So that deliverance is a cause for rejoicing. Paul is confident and decisive, not because of positive circumstances, but because of trusting in God's active love and sovereignty. And so he chooses to rejoice. And so much of the time, and I think there are guys in this room who've had to make those choices in more difficult circumstances than I, but the choice is always ours. The circumstances are sent to us, and so we are delivered through them, delivered into them by God but we are never abandoned to them. And it's our choice how to respond. It's never an easy, or it's often not an easy one. Uh, but nonetheless, he lives the cho leaves the choice with us. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he says, he doesn't say the Spirit of God, he says the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And probably because it's that work of salvation that he's focusing on. Both are equally valid, but because he's focusing on soteria, deliverance, he's, he mentions the spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, the whole third person of the Godhead. So by your prayers and the spirit, couldn't the spirit do it on its own, on his own? Well, sure he could. But maybe he won't because he calls on us to pray. Sometimes God is ultimately sovereign and omnipotent, limited only by his character. He can do anything that he knows in himself is right to do, but sometimes I think scripture 
indicates to us he doesn't because he wants us to be involved in it. And one of the ways we get involved in it is by prayer. So he may choose not to act until we appeal to him to act. Why does he do that? Well, several reasons. And, and coupled with that is why should we pray? Well, one is, of course, he commands us to. And that's is sufficient in and of itself. Another reason, though, that God commands us to do that is because the more people pray, the more people will be looking for God to act. And when he does, the more thanksgivings and glory to God. Second Corinthians 1, Paul talks about this. He says, man, this, this is just a dreadful time in my life. It, that is a great passage for realizing that Paul was no stranger to discouragement. It wasn't uh, all rosy for him. He didn't just laugh his way through shipwrecks and whippings. So, which we're tempted to think sometimes and to think that that's the way we should be. Life has some pretty nasty circumstances. And again, many of the guys in this room, probably all of us at one point or another, will go through those. But we know that, the, that not only the end point, but every step of the way, the Spirit of God is walking with us and sometimes carrying us through those. And that's cause for rejoicing. So, uh, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not be at all ashamed that, that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And that word expectation, it's not just a, you know, I'm standing waiting for the metrain to pull in. You know, I know I'm going to be waiting a long time, but so I'm, I'm going to stand and wait for that. No, it's, it's a sense of the word, as you can see in the notes, it's a sense like, you're looking down the track. You're anxious to see that coming. And for Paul, that's exactly what it is. Paul was confident that he would be delivered, but he was eagerly looking forward to it. Not because he wasn't confident he would be, but because he wanted to give thanks to God and be aware of it when it was coming so there'd be more glory to God. So that's his eager expectation and hope. It is hope. It's not certainty. I, I feel confident that some of the things that Paul expects to happen that we read about in his letters probably didn't happen because God made different choices for him and said, like, did Paul, in fact, get to go to Spain, the western part of the Mediterranean? Maybe. Don't know. Uh, he got to go exactly where God wanted him to go and accomplished everything God wanted him to accomplish and crossed the finish line, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. Paul looks forward eagerly to God's resolution, his deliverance, not necessarily rescue. And this is one of the best passages that I can think of in Scripture that deliverance doesn't necessarily mean rescue. Deliverance means God's ultimate best, and that's the thing to which Paul looks forward. And this is it's really hard and painful for us particularly in issues of health, especially for those, for loved ones. Not necessarily for ourselves, but for loved ones. Sometimes God makes different choices for us, and he helps us to walk through whichever choice that he makes. We do everything we can. We seek him as much as we can, and then we have to leave the choice in his hands. But we can be confident, and we need to rejoice in the fact that it's always deliverance. It's always the opportunity to glorify Christ. And for Paul... 
it was that glorifying Christ in his body. I can almost guarantee if you've ever heard a presentation on purity, you've heard this verse, okay? Because for guys, when I mentioned that, glorify Christ in our body, I would bet that at least 60% of you, that was what you thought of. That's the issue. If I ask, which I'm not asking for, a show of hands for everybody who struggles with, the, with sexual purity, many of you would raise your hands and the rest of you would be lying. Okay? <laughs> Unless there's somebody in here who's dead, uh, you struggle with it. But Paul here assures us that not only can we get by and do the right thing, just grit our teeth, but that we, human beings in this life, tainted with rotting flesh about us, can glorify God. Can In this great cosmic theater I've talked about before, <coughs> where the events of our lives are important not just for this life, but because they display God to all those heavenly beings, some of them malevolent, all those heavenly beings that are watching what's going on around us, that we can give glory to God through what you and I do today in the next hour, two hours, 24 hours. That God can get glory for that for all of eternity. And that's the opportunity he gives for us, gives to us. Um, on this issue of purity, uh, if it's a struggle for you, meaning, you know, it's an extraordinary struggle, it's something God really has impressed you with, come and see one of us. Um, Bob Thornton, who I think is still out sick today, uh, Alec, uh, Dave, me, just come and see one of us and, you know, let's deal with this issue. I have struggled with it. I got help with it. There's no guy here who doesn't put his pants on one leg at a time, I think, unless we have some of the soft guys and they could probably do it two legs at a time. So, <laughs> Or at least they think they can. So... <laughs> For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living and dying, Paul knew he would be with Christ. But of course, just like he says in 1 Corinthians 13, now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He knows that, that all that will fall away from us, that what was uh, thought, what was hope, you know, it's sort of, it sounds sort of odd, but heaven is the end of hope because we don't need it anymore. It's reality. It's sight. It's in front of us. There's nothing more to hope with because we're standing in his presence. So that gain is what we have to hope for, to look forward in, to. And for Paul, it's great being here because it's fruitful labor. But to be with Christ, infinitely better. Because then there's nothing, there's none of the flesh, there's none of this dimness of sight, there's no uh, taint of sin keeping me from uh, the full enjoyment of the Savior who loves me so much. Paul saw life with Christ as infinitely more pleasant, infinitely joyful, and just as Hamlet said, a consummation devoutly to be wished. Interestingly, for those who really love Shakespeare, um, when, Paul, when Hamlet does that soliloquy, to consummation devoutly to be wished, he talks about, what's he talking about? He's talking about death. He's really talking about suicide, but talking about the forgetfulness of death. And as we'll talk about here in the next couple of, couple of verses, that's not what, God, what Paul's talking about in this passage. Death is not just emptiness. It's not just forgetfulness. 
another classical reference, just so, you know, for water cooler conversation. You remember that in Greek mythology, there was the river Styx around hell. You saw the movie Hercules, you saw all that, and the, the ferrymen and all that stuff. There's another river in the Greek underworld called Letha. It's the river of forgetfulness. And that was a benefit given to you to allow you to forget those bad things that had happened to you or that you'd done in life. That's not heaven. Heaven is God. Eternity, anywhere, doing anything in the absence of God is called hell. Our hope of heaven is not, and I fall into this a lot, boy, won't it be nice to be, you know, not to have to worry about all this stuff and to realize that uh, I can rest. That's all true, but the reason it's heaven is because of Christ. It's not the place, it's not the rest, it's not the, all those things that other religions highlight as the blessings of heaven. Heaven is God himself. You know, that's why John says in John 17, um, this is eternal life, to know thee in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. God himself is heaven. That's the one that we need to focus on as we look forward to eternity. I'm hard-pressed between, if it's, hard, if it's to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So that idea of being hard-pressed, as you can see from your notes, is to be sort of squished. You know, think of a, a vice. And Paul doesn't know which to pick. My question for myself as I went through this passage was, I wonder why he's hard-pressed for the choice, because the choice isn't his. He doesn't have any control over any, God does not give him any control over those choices. I think it's Paul's controlling his preferences. And he's saying, gosh, I wish I could just go and be with Christ. Okay, headsman, come on over here. Let's get this done with. I'm ready to go. And I'm sure Paul had days like that. Probably each of us does at one time or another. But for him... He was hard-pressed between the choices because he knew that he still had work to do, just as each of us does. Death in Christ is not just a release from earthly cares and painful memories into a heaven of pleasure and rest. Rather, it's centered around the Godhead. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man so that we may present every man mature in Christ. For this I toil striving with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. That was Paul's life mission to fruitfully labor. If you look at 2 Timothy, last letter he wrote, just before his, shortly before his execution, what's Paul doing? He hadn't stopped. He says, remember he, he, in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, bring me the parchments. Make sure you especially bring me those and the books. Paul wasn't giving up. He wasn't cruising into, into heaven. He was crossing the finish line uh, with his last breath, just throwing himself against the tape. And that's probably what I should do too. Particularly in, you know, for those of us who are retired, like, like Bob, Joe, and others. It's not a time to slow down. It may be a time to physically slow down. We won't have any much choice about that in some ways. It's a time to keep on running because the race isn't over until it's over.
But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul recognized the work that God had given him to do. And in his preferences, again, he couldn't make the choice. He willingly postponed it, that expectation of heaven, because he knew he was looking forward to fruitful labor, to continuing to invest in the lives of people. He recognized just as he, remember when he goes through an ax and he talks about, you know, I was shipwrecked five times, I, I uh, was in prison, I was whipped, all this other stuff. Just going through all the things that had happened to him. Well, of course, by saying he was going to continue to fruitfully labor, he was asking for more of those. And that list wouldn't stop there to keep on going. But for him, that was okay. God was sovereign over that. It wasn't something he looked forward to, I imagine. But God was sovereign over that. And if that's what it took to get the labor done, okay, we'll do that. Isn't always my perspective, frankly. Um, rather, sometimes the, uh, the gift of ease and floating away, escorted by clouds of angels and Charmin and all that stuff. So... Soft toilet paper does make life better, by the way. Just saying. Just saying. Convinced of this, I know that I... Sh- Have you ever noticed in commercials, we're now talking about things in commercials you would never talk about before. Like those Charmin commercials with the little bears. Really? Why do we talk about that? Uh, convinced of this, I know that I shall remain, continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul was absolutely confident that he would see the Philippians again. Did he? Don't know. My guess is from the certainty with which Paul speaks of it, he probably did, that God had given him a message um, that he was going to see the Philippians again and really minister to them some more. I've told you this story before, but I like it and I have the mic, so I'm going to tell it to you again. Um, Englishman, he's actually German, came to England, George Mueller. Many of you have read of him. Okay. He, uh, in the 1800s, God burdened him after he got to England, brought him to Christ, and he was burdened for orphans. He was also equipped with an unbelievable degree, unbelievable to, to me anyway, degree of faith. Um, throughout his ministry to orphans, he never, and I don't say that this is a pattern that we should follow, but for him it was. It's something God gave him. Um, He never told anyone about any of the needs in his orphanages. He just prayed about them. There's a famous incident where uh, a friend was staying overnight, and as they went to bed, Mueller said, um, I don't know where breakfast is coming from tomorrow for all the kids, but I prayed about it. God's going to take care of it. Next morning, there it was. It wasn't until years later, I think probably after Mueller was dead, that somebody said, told how that had happened. God had, how God had awakened a, I guess a businessman in the middle of the night and said, you, hey, come on, get up. You need to provide food for Mueller's orphanage. And he did. The, the other one, which is even more remarkable to me. So Mueller's on his way to Canada to speak. And the ship is um, in a fog. Sort of like me sometimes. Um, yeah, Bob laughed at that. Um, so uh, the captain has been on the bridge for, you know, 24 hours. He's exhausted. Um, Mueller comes up and says, Captain, I have to be in Canada or Quebec, you know, by this date so I can meet my engagement. I've never been late for an engagement for my Lord yet. Um, I want you to come pray with me. And the captain was a, 
a fairly nominal Christian at that point. Uh, he wouldn't be in the next 15 minutes or so. Um, and the captain says, okay, whatever, you know, and wanders down, and they, they go into a cabin, into the cabin below. And the captain, telling later of the story, says, um, Mueller prayed a prayer like a fourth grader would pray, words to that effect. Um, God, take away the fog. You know, I've never been late for you. I ask that you would do this uh, in order to ensure that I'm not late for you this time. Um, and then, as, you know, the captain was expecting to pray, Mueller got up and put his hand on his shoulders. said, Captain, don't pray for two reasons. One, you don't believe God can do it. The second is, I know he already has. He walked out the door of the sunshine. So that was faith and expectation. The same thing that Paul had to expect that God would show up. So I've left you, can you go to the questions now? Left you some questions. How can I honor Christ in my body? What are my areas of struggle? And purity is just one of them, of course, as, as all of us know. Paul talks about his fruitful labor. What are my areas of fruitful labor? Where is God using me to bear fruit? So enlarge your focus. It's not just how many people have I shared the gospel with. That is, you know, that is an area of fruitful labor, but it's not the only one. How's God using you in the life of your kids, in your wife's life, in here in the church, outside the church, to minister to human needs, to uh, uplift the people in your office? And then Paul talks about seeking the progress of joy and joy of the Philippians. And then how might God want to use me to help someone's progress and joy in the faith? Perhaps someone around your table. Who might that be? Okay, that's it for me.